The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show today. So glad you could join me. Today, we're going to be diving into a little health and wellness and turn you on to some really cutting edge health information. And I'm really excited to welcome my guest today. I got a chance to meet her or I I first uh, got in contact with her uh, over the spring when we were at this International Women's Summit in Arizona. And it was just such an incredible event. And Katie Coons, who's the editor of Unity Magazine, said, you've got to meet Dr. Donise Warden. She's going to be here. So we were able to get in touch and I got a chance to meet her and spend a little time and talk with her. And she just has so much amazing information that I had to get her on the air to share this with you. So I'm so happy she's joining me today. And we're going to be talking about the brain-gut connection and a lot of other things too related to your health and wellness, but kind of focusing in on this. So have you ever had a gut feeling about something or a gut reaction? I know we've all experienced that at some time or, or another, and I'm gonna get a little woo on you for a second. And just if anybody out there is, is a cancer, and I'm a cancer, astrological sign, you know, we feel things in our gut. You know, some people just really get that intuitive hit right there. And there's a reason for this. This is no joke. We're going to find out about the gut-brain connection. And it turns out that the gastrointestinal tract is really sensitive to emotion and feelings like anger, anxiety, sadness, and joy. All of these things can trigger symptoms in the gut. And Dr. Donise Warden is going to shed some light on all of this. And she's a naturopathic medical doctor, an expert diagnostician, and a global health educator who is trained in both conventional and alternative medicine. And she's based in Arizona, where she joins us today. You can also find her at Dr. Warden, D.R. Warden, W-O-R-D-E-N.com. So Dr. Donise, I'm so glad you could join us today. Welcome. Thank you, Diane. I'm very excited as well. And it was great to meet you when I did. And I just knew that we'd be able to talk to your listeners at some point. So I appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so glad you could come on and chat with all the Unity listeners today and also all the people that are going to be checking us out later on the podcast. So people can listen to us now. We're live, you know, so I want to throw that out there. If you do want to call and join the show, 816-251-3555 is the number to get in touch. And I've been plastering it all over social. <laughs> so I'm sure people will probably see it, you know, and see the uh, number there. So yeah, if you'd like to join us, great. You know, if not, you can check it out later on the podcast. So yeah, I'm so glad you could come on because this is such fascinating information. And first you know, of all, I want to really tell is. people, it is, I mean, it, and there's been so much uh, new research that's come up over the past few years. Like I never thought that the gut and the brain were so linked, so directly linked. But I want you to tell people first, though, because I think some people might not be aware of what exactly a naturopathic doctor is. So because you're both, you're an MD, but also a naturopath. So I just wanted to let people know what that is. Well, a naturopathic medical doctor means that I'm licensed to do what traditional medicine does. So I can prescribe meds and do minor surgeries, kind of like a primary care physician or an internal medicine 
but I'm also licensed in the alternative medicines, and that is botanical medicine. So we understand the drugs and licensed to understand that and the botanical medicines, traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, uh, mind-body is a big piece of what we do. Counseling is one of the licenses. We're also licensed in homeopathy and licensed in nutrition, clinical nutrition. We do IV nutrition. So we really understand many, and that's just a few of those alternatives that we actually have a license in. It's a nice place to sit, Diane, because I can sit here and say when a patient comes in, first step is you've really got to diagnose what's really going on. And when I say that, it's not just physical. It's emotional, mental, spiritual, everything that's going on. Then you can educate the patient in what their options are in treatment from both sides of medicine. Uh, and I say one is not necessarily always better than the other. Sometimes we need a combination and sometimes there's a there's a, a, a reason to do a pharmaceutical, although I will say 99.9% of the time, that's only while I'm trying to figure out <laughs> what else we can do that's natural to get the real root of the problem fixed. So I tend, obviously, to lean toward the natural side, natural treatments. Well, I really love that approach. I mean, that's something that I'm really interested in, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners are as well. And I like that you have that combined approach. You're you're the double threat, you know, cuz you know the the best western medicine approach to take, but also turning people on to alternative therapies, letting people know that they can use other things like plant medicine and acupuncture and things like that, which I I think is is so interesting and so beneficial that people need to learn more about those those other therapies. I mean, we can't just throw drugs at everything and think that that's going to fix it or cure it. And there's, right. there's other ways, you know, there's other avenues that we can take. So that that's is so right. great that, that that's you can right. do that. And in, that, that's right. And I, I will say on top of that, though, I really am a researcher and I'm connected with the top researchers on both systems of medicine when we're talking about traditional cancer care or alternative cancer care or whatever we're talking about. It's about what is the latest research. So I'm kind of a nerd that way. My husband laughs and says, you know, you'll know what I'm doing at 4 a.m. every morning. I'm up and reading the latest research, not just in natural medicine, but in traditional medicine as well. So I really like to stay on top of what is the cutting edge um, things that we have coming down the line that where we can really help people. Well, I know if I was given a diagnosis of, of something, you know, if I had some dire diagnosis, I would, I would want to know everything, you know, all the research that's right. out there, the best approach that I could take, you know, Western and alternative, I, I would do everything. So whatever you told me to do, (laughs) I would do it, whatever you said. And and that's what, and I love even the, uh, you know, people that can't become patients. They're not in Arizona or they can't fly out. I do the resource consultations, which means they call in and I can listen and look at all of their labs, look at everything. And it is about educating that patient, like you're saying, no matter what the diagnosis is. It's understanding what's going on with that patient and then educating, here are all the things that you might want to consider, and this is why. But it's ultimately, isn't it back to the patient? It's back to you. Like Diane, you know, you would be saying, this makes sense to me intuitively. And because we don't have all the answers in medicine on either side. And and my take is whatever you believe is the best medicine for you, once you're educated, once you really understand, then when you believe, when you know what you think sounds good for you, that's the best medicine. It may not be what I would have chosen personally. However, 
your body in that state produces its own chemicals, its own pharmacy, because you're in a belief system that what you're choosing is going to be the best. So I'm about education, empower you, and then at some point, it's up to the patient to make the decision. Right, because everybody is so different. Our right. our body systems, our our chemistry, and everything is so different. So that's why it's that's so right. important to really listen. You know, listen mm-hmm. to our bodies. So I want to jump in and, and talk about this brain gut connection because <laughs> since I started hearing about this a, a couple of years ago, and I guess it really started for me personally, uh, like five or six years ago, I had to have one of those fabulous colonoscopies. And I was having all these kind of, you know, horrible uh, stomach issues. And I just always had heartburn and all kinds of problems. And um, my mother had colon cancer, unfortunately. And so I was concerned about that. So I went to um, have have that done, which I urge everybody to do. It's no big deal. You know, the prep is the worst part. The actual uh, procedure was was nothing, you know, a piece of cake. Um, But prior to that, you know, I was talking to um, my doctor about it, and I started taking probiotics. I never really heard about it. And then now you're hearing so much more of the word probiotic. You know, there's the Activia yogurt commercials, and Jamie Lee Curtis is talking about it. But (laughs) once I started taking the probiotics and really taking a look at what was going on in my gut, I mean, it really was life-changing, just totally kind of turned things around. And it's so interesting, the the brain and the gastrointestinal system are so intimately connected that we, that we never really knew about it. So I was hoping you could kind of shed some light on this. And the term that I had heard and found out about is microbiome, the, which is used to describe all the microorganisms in the gut that communicate with the brain. And it's so interesting. And it communicates with everything. Those microorganisms are in your heart. They're in your nervous system. They're everywhere. In fact, if we think about it, we really are a bunch of bugs. Um, we, we, we think of ourselves as, you know, being human and DNA and this and that, but really 90% of us is a bunch of bugs. And that, that makes people upset. They can't believe it. But if we think about the universe itself, I mean, bacteria, those microbes have been around for billions of years. In fact, for the first three billion of existence of all of this is all bacteria. And we, there's trillions of bugs, trillions in and on our body. They're everywhere, land, water, air, but the biomass of the earth and our biomass, we're mostly bugs. And so studying these bugs, understanding more about the good bugs and the bad bugs and how they play with one another is a big piece of medicine. It's a new piece. I just um, this summer attended uh, the microbiome. Uh, It was a cancer oncology. It was an oncology microbiome. Uh, symposium. And then I did one in San Diego with the skin because L'Oreal and all the big guys, they all understand the microbiome and these bugs affect our skin. They affect our immune system. That's why oncology is interested in it. And our topic today is brain and how that brain gut axis is important. It's real. We've studied a lot. We've got a lot more to learn, but there's things we can do now that can really affect our overall health and our brain health, especially. So it's it's exciting, and and you know I've been since 1990. That was the first time we kind of heard the term neurogastroenterology. What does that mean? Brain gut connection, really. And the gut is considered the second brain. In fact, the gut 
has almost as many nerves, like the nervous system, as the brain. It actually has a lot of variety, more in, in the types of neurons that it even has. So it's really a second brain. It acts like and it communicates with the brain. So the brain and the gut, that's why when you're upset about something, you get a stomach ache. Or if you get a tummy ache, then you become depressed or anxious. They are very connected in dopamine and serotonin, these hormones that are modulated. Um, they're mostly people don't understand that they're made in the gut. In fact, Diane, whenever I used to lecture, and this was 15 years ago, for behavioral health, and I would sit in front of psychiatrists and psychologists and I'd say, where's serotonin made in the, in, where is it made in the body? And they'd name all these brain structures. And I would say, you're missing the boat. 90% of that serotonin is made in the gut. And that communication between those hormones and those neurons, which is your brain chemistry and your gut chemistry, it's a two-way street and they communicate constantly. So if we have depression, anxiety, any of those emotional states going on, we really have to look at gut health. And this really starts to affect us from the moment we're born, right? The gut microbiome. That's right. So, we, you know, we're in a sterile environment whenever we're in a, the mother's uterus. But the minute we're born, we start collecting those bugs. In fact, they collect really the majority of what our variety is going to look like of bugs happens in the first three years. That's why it's important for breastfeeding. And that's why it's important what you feed those your children in those first three years because that population and that diversity is really important. So the number of bugs and the diversity of bugs is important. And the more diverse, the more bugs you have, the better uh, your overall health is. And we really need to optimize this, right, and, and cultivate it. And it's so easy, it seems, to throw us off track, you know, and get that, and, and those levels are wrong, right? So, that's I mean, right. so many things well, that we're doing is, is throwing that off, right? That's correct. Stress is huge. We know it. it. The studies are there. What it does to the microbiome and those bugs and upsets our gut and our brain. The environmental toxicities, that's a whole nother show, Diane, on those environmental toxicities <laughs> and what that's doing, Right. Food sensitivities, foods you put in that cause um, an inflammatory response. And these aren't food allergies, they're food sensitivities. It's a blood test and then you test. And if it's causing inflammation in the gut, it's causing inflammation in the brain. We also know antibiotics is a huge, huge problem. We've overused them. Every time everybody gets a cold, they go on an antibiotic. And I think most people at this stage know that it's become a very big problem. And most of the bugs have become resistant, at least they're bad bugs have become resistant to these antibiotics. But what they've done is destroy our good bugs, our good, our good uh, garden of all the good bugs, and that's become a very big problem. And it's hard to stay away from it, Diane. I ask audiences when I lecture, I say, how many of you have taken antibiotics within the past three days? And a few people might raise their hand up. And I said, how many of you have eaten meat or dairy? or non-organic in the last three days, and they raise their hands. I said, okay, you've all had an antibiotic. So antibiotics are really, really playing havoc on our brain, on our gut, um, and that's where probiotics and some of the foods like kefir and, and uh, uh, you know, the fermentable foods are really starting to help us out because it's helping repopulate uh, what we're destroying constantly with antibiotics. And, 
you know, it's not just about keeping the, the farm animals from being sick. The antibiotics also make them gain weight, and that helps them get more per cow or per animal. And so you got to wonder if that is also connected to our weight gain, and there is some preliminary research thinking that as well. So the antibiotics are playing a, a big role into this. And even if you try to be vigilant, I mean, just in what you're describing, it's so easy for for us to be exposed. (laughs) I mean, you know, you'd have to monitor every single thing. That's right. And you can't. And nobody wants to live that way. You know, we need to do the best we can. Eat organic when you can. Eat fermented foods when you can. But go out and have fun and enjoy your life. You know, eat things that that, that aren't going to, that you know don't really, really bother you, but you're going to know that you may need to replace some of those good bugs and you need to be working on that microbiome. And stress is a big piece of it as well. You know, we, we, the, I, I don't want to talk too bad about antibiotics. They saved, probably saved our, our um, species. You know, the Black Death in, I think it was 1347, it wiped out a third of Europe. And when Fleming first made that first antibiotic, it probably saved us as a species. It was a blessing. Now it's kind of a blessing and a curse. Um, and we've got to be really careful how we utilize it. My uh, colleague and friend, Dr. Robert Elliott, his research is showing that uh, antibiotics destroy the mitochondria inside the cell. And what does that mean? It means that's the powerhouse of the cell. And when that gets dysregulated, that's connected to cancer and chronic neurodegenerative diseases, brain pathologies that we're talking about today. So I, I we encourage everyone, unless there's a real reason, you know the bug that you have, you know that the antibiotic that is being chosen is going to work on that bug, that means you've cultured it. If there's time to look, really, we're better off most of the time trying really not to use antibiotics. So if you're on an antibiotic regimen and your your gut production is is just wiped out i mean how do you bring them back how do you bring them back in i mean how right once they're dead they're dead right i mean you have to replace them with with new ones is that right that that's right so that's where probiotics in these fermented foods come in right is that that we have certain strains that we think that work better when you're on a an antibiotic and then other strains of a certain probiotic that you might take just daily for the antibiotics that you get in your normal food intake. But, um, you know, if you have a, a doctor or practitioner that really understands this, they help you know which bugs at what times you should be taking. Plus, it depends on your age. We would never give young babies or young children the same bugs that we as adults have because we've accumulated more bugs as we age. So it's very age-specific and 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 um, and I will say disease specific. At some point, we're going to know a lot more about that. Which bugs do what? That's why it's being studied in oncology. Really, there's preliminary research and exciting research now saying when you have this particular type of cancer, it might be this type of microbiotic uh, microbiome change or an introduction of certain species of these good bugs that can help our immune system, even with something as, as horrible as cancer. So it, it's an exciting area of research. And, I, you know, for now, I tell people, take a probiotic, rotate the strains, make sure that you've got a good quality probiotic. And we, maybe if we have time today, we'll talk about quality and the questions they should be asking about these products to make sure they're getting what they think they're getting and not getting harm with, you know, adulterated products. But 
it's rotating those probiotics and taking them is is a great idea. I will put one caveat on that: people with suppressed immune systems, and that could be people with certain types of cancer or immune suppression, HIV. It's possible that the probiotics might work. Certain strains might work against them, and so that's why if if somebody has a very um, severe disease, they really need to work with someone that understands and knows a little bit more about this instead of just going out and saying everybody should be on a probiotic. Most people do, in my opinion. That's a good point. And what about gender specific? I mean, I'm taking a probiotic now that says for women. I mean, is that just a marketing thing? Right. Well, there are certain strains. I wrote an article, I've forgotten what magazine it was in, about vaginal repopulation. There are certain strains that we know, even orally, help the vaginal tract. Okay, but other than that, we don't know much more about why a woman or a man would take different bugs, because if we think about it, we're getting kind of the same bugs. We, we were exposed to the same dirt when we're kids, the same mother's milk. Hormones are the only thing that makes us difference between male and female. You know, we really are the same organism. Uh, we just, when little boys get more testosterone, they become males. And when women, you know, it, it's just, we really start out the same. Hormones make the difference. But as far as bugs, probably not that big a difference, except um, the vaginal um, probiotic area, you know, area of microbiome is a little different. Uh, but our mouth, our nose, our our uh, brains, our heart, all these other places that have been studied for microbiome, we're really not seeing so far a big difference between male and female. Oh, okay. That, that's interesting. I, I wondered that because I do see different, uh, yeah. you know, marketing, you know, tactics right. of, oh, this is specifically for women. So I, that's, I guess that's not really completely true, yeah, uh, like you just explained. Yeah. But I did hear about rotating the probiotics and not just yeah. taking one. And that was something I started to do because I, right after I had that colonoscopy, I just started taking whatever they had recommended. And I did right. that for like a year or so. And then I was reading, oh, you really need to change it up. Right. So I've, I've been, been kind of switching yeah. that around. And I agree with that. I mean, and there are different ones. There's Saccharomyces, um, which kind of works on the fungal yeasty type problems and then the probiotics and there's prebiotics you know that it gets very detailed but again there's a lot um in fact some of these articles that i've been writing it's a big area that everybody's interested in diane so i've been writing for some reason in the last i guess six months i don't know how many articles for reader's digest and all these places so i'll have those on my website at some point and everybody could dig in and really look at those details but i think the take-home is probiotics in these fermented foods in uh, making those, it's important that you've got to do it right. Kombucha, yogurt, you've got to really understand there's some risk in doing some of those. If you don't do it right, you can grow bad things. But when you do it correctly, they're very beneficial. And, and the studies are showing they're very beneficial, especially in what we're talking about today, brain gut health. And I read that the fermented foods, which I really love, like I always loved yogurt and, you know, sauerkraut and, and things like that. Right. Uh, you know, I'm not German, but what the heck? I mean, <laughs> I still like it. Like and there's it. also, um, what's the, the Korean one? Kimchi, um, the, the spicy right. one, the fermented uh, right. cabbage. Um, but those right. things I read have been shown to alter brain activity, fermented well, foods. Well, and that's because they're altering the microbiome in the gut. That's right. So we're back to that brain-gut connection and that, 
you know, over a thousand diverse microbial species that are in this. And, and it's that when we alter the microbiome, when we alter, remember, we're mostly bugs. 90% of us is bugs. Only uh, that other part is, you know, the 10% is our DNA and what we think of as us. When you alter those bugs, you alter everything. And the brain, the system, how the gut kind of talks to the brain is through the vagus nerve. And that's, that's a nerve that allows that communication from one to the other. And we, we know that. We're able to, to study that. And whenever we eat certain foods or do certain things with the microbiome, that adjusts the the amino acids, which are little proteins that talk to the brain, that that say how much dopamine, serotonin, and how they should be working. So it's a it's a it's a communication system that's fascinating. We know it. You know that you get upset uh, about something, and uh, you know emotionally upset, and your stomach hurts, or you have diarrhea. It affects it. We we know that, but now the science is showing it's really a two way street, is not a one way street. And it seems a lot easier to incorporate those kind of things into your diet. I mean, you can buy kombucha anywhere, yes. really. It's it's so popular. They're, even at bars, you can get kombucha. That, that's true. It's kind of I interesting. Will, I will say, <laughs> yeah, I will say a lot of those bugs are going to die after they – the problem is by the time that they are, are taken in the mass market, they have to comply with the things that are there to protect us, but in the same time, it's killing a lot of the microbes and the bugs. And so doing it at home, you're going to have more of that activity. However, you've got to do it right or you're going to grow bad things that could actually make you very ill. So it's a catch-22. And again, I say rotate it. Eat yogurt, do some kombucha, some kefir, sauerkraut. But these fermented foods are, are good for us, um, except in those cases that I, I was talking about before, immunocompromised patients, they've got to be careful introducing those bugs because they may introduce a few bad bugs with the good and their, their immune systems can't, can't take it. Right. And right. if anyone's in one of those categories, definitely check with your doctor and That's make right. sure you're doing That's the right, right thing before you load up on, on some of this exactly. stuff. And exactly. we're going to take a break in uh, just a few seconds here. And there's, there's so much more that I want to ask you. So hopefully we can squeeze all that in, in the next segment. Sure. I've got a, a bunch of questions here for you. And I'd love to hear from you. If anyone's out there uh, spinning out in the, the cosmos of the internet and would love to talk to an expert, give us a call 816 251 3555 talking with Dr. Denise Warden today. We'll be right back. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm so glad you could tune in, and I'm really happy to connect here with my guest, Dr. Donise Warden. She's a naturopathic medical doctor and a global health educator, and we're chatting about the brain gut connection. And Donise is an expert on this. So if you're having some uh, gut feelings out there, if you're listening and you'd like to join us, 
uh, give us a call, 816-251-3555, and ask a question. I'm just getting some great information from you, Denise, about this subject. And uh, during the break, we were uh, chatting a little bit about uh, probiotics and, and gut health. And I was sharing with you uh, a little bit about my shameful antacid addiction <laughs> that I had for years. And yeah. uh, we should definitely mention that because I know a lot of people out there were probably in the same boat that I was. You know, you start with a Tums here and there. Then, you know, I was I was buying the Amaprazole in bulk at Costco, which probably, yeah. you know, yeah. was not good. I mean, this went on for years. Um, and then I started, you know, doing a little more reading and finding out like, no, you really shouldn't be doing this. So let's tell people like what is actually happening, you know, when you're taking that antacid and then you're doing right. it every day. I mean, I was taking it like a vitamin right. every day. Right. And so let's start with the first step should be why were you having to take it? What were your symptoms? Why were you having the symptoms? So if you have heartburn, if you have, that's a sign from the body that something is wrong. So when you take the antacid, it's like turning the fire alarm off and letting the fire keep going. You have not fixed anything. Now, they can be protective if that acid is coming back up into the esophagus, and that can cause problems. But you've got to find the root of the problem, what's causing it. Sometimes there's not enough stomach acid is why it's jumping back up in there. It can be hypochlorhydria as opposed to hyper. So the first thing is if you're taking an antacid and, and, and you don't have a diagnosis, you don't understand why your symptoms are there, that's the first problem second one is an antacid turns off the stomach acid and that makes you feel better and it does protect the esophagus from the acid coming up however the stomach is supposed to have acid in it that's what breaks down your food so that you can get the nutrients out of it that you need it's supposed to be acidic and it's supposed to have that little sphincter there the little little closing that keeps the acid in the stomach and not coming back up so if you turn off that stomach acid Two things, two problems. You can't, you're not going to be able to break down the minerals and the vitamins and all those things that you need from your foods. And that's why the connection between osteoporosis and osteopenia is there from antacid use because it's blocking the calcium and magnesium, the things needed for healthy bones. And even men now are starting to have that problem, whereas we used to not see that, and it's from antacid use. The second is when you shut off that antacid, now a bacteria that we've been talking about today, these bacteria called H. pylori can grow. That's what causes stomach ulcers. People think ulcers are from stress. A small percentage can be, but the majority of stomach ulcers are there because we've shut off the stomach acid and it allowed these, these, uh, this H. pylori in particular to grow. So I, I'm not a fan. I mean, there's a time and a place just until we're figuring out what's causing the problem. But I, we have many other natural things that help. But the first step is diagnose what's causing it. Do you need digestive enzymes that help you break down the foods? Is it a hypochlorhydria? You actually need acid, which would be putting pepsin or other things back in that give you more stomach acid. So that's working with someone that really understands and is going to figure out the problem, Diane. So I'm glad that you are off of those. Your bones will thank you. And today's medical news, and we've seen it before. This has come out before, but now it's becoming more of a link. They're really, the FDA is starting to research 
the antacids and cancer connection. And so you've got to ask yourself, how could it cause cancer? Well, again, I'm back to if you're blocking the nutrient absorption, that's my guess at this point. And, wow. I, I, and that's with some research behind it as well. So I, I think that we're going to learn more and more. We already know it's related to all kinds of bad things that can happen down the road. But yeah. Now, I mean, especially with the immune system with cancer. I heard also that, you know, taking those antacids continually for a long period of time can really damage your liver. Is that right. true too? And, and, well, it, it can. But again, it's that kind of that secondary is the liver being damaged because it doesn't have the nutrients it needs to detox and to cleanse and to heal itself? Or is it just a complete direct, um, you know, problem with the liver, with the liver, which we really, to my knowledge, have not linked? But I think it affects everything. If you block nutrition, you block everything. Your body can't function, run. It's like trying to run a car without gas in it. Right. So I, I think there's a lot of connections with antacids that we haven't made yet, but it's, I will say that if, if someone does have um, a lot of heartburn and that acid coming up into the esophagus, that in itself can cause a cancer, causes what's called Barrett's esophagitis. And so you've got to get it fixed. You can't ignore it and just say, well, I'm not going to do anything. Um, You know, but, but you do, I would encourage everyone to find out the root of the problem of what's causing the 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 discomfort oh yeah i mean this was a this took a long time for me to kind of dig through and it was getting to the point where you know you would get that reflux at night and you'd you know wake up choking which is a really scary thing to have happen and what really helped it for me was uh, taking a combination of digestive enzymes and the Mm -hmm. hcl it's called pepsin yeah. HCL, and that's actually yeah. putting the acid back in that I had destroyed. There you go. And uh, you it, were, it took right. a while. <laughs> you know, it got worse before it got better. That's right. When people think I'm taking an antacid because I have too much acid, and then when you're saying I took acid to get better, that's because your stomach didn't have enough acid, and so it gurgles back up and comes through that what we call that sphincter and a hiatal hernia. People have heard of. It's usually easily fixed by someone who knows how to work mechanically with it without surgery. We can usually fix those. Um, but when that sphincter is closed and the stomach stays, the acid stays in the stomach where it's supposed to be, it shouldn't be a problem. But if you don't have enough stomach acid, like it sounds like in your case may have been the issue, that's where your pepsin and HCL hydrochloric acid you know, is going to help. Well, it it really did. It's it's made such yeah, a huge good. difference, and I was able to wean myself uh, off my yeah. uh, my Prilosec uh, Omeprazole yeah. addiction. And I I just actually got a, a text from a friend of mine who's been struggling with these kind of issues too, and she wanted to call in, uh, but she was on the phone and said she wanted to ask you yeah. about a treatment called Ibergast I B E R G A S T, and it's a, a liquid that she takes before meals. Is that something right. you've heard of? Well, I, we we talked about it in the break just a minute. I looked it up. It's uh, what I'm seeing is a barrel gast, and it is an herbal treatment. Uh, Bear makes it. It looks like if this is the one that she's taking, but they're just a mixture of different herbals that we have known for thousands of years. You know, I teach at ASU. I, I developed a course that I teach in ancient healing traditions, Ayurvedic medicine, naturopathy, traditional Chinese medicine. And we've known through thousands of centuries, these plants help many, many things. But again, 
even if she's having to take an herbal to help gastrointestinal disturbances, my question is why is she having it to start with? Why is she having to take anything, right? Right, right. So and that, that's where you that have to is, drill down. Yeah, that's right. And it's these things are can be fine once in a while. You ate something that you know always bothers you, but you decided you wanted to eat it anyway. Those are okay. <laughs> That's when we can use these things, right? Oh uh, yeah, I've done I, I've I, done that, you know, and, and learn yeah, kind of right, the triggers right. and you, you know what you what causes it. That's right. But if you have constant symptoms and you're taking an herbal and you go, oh, but it's herbal, it's natural. Well, 80% of the drugs, the pharmaceuticals, have come from herbals. They're, they're sent, they're, they've made, been made from or they're analogs of. So it doesn't matter. Yes, they may have less side effects. It may be less toxic and have less problems than the pharmaceuticals, but you're still doing the same thing. You're throwing something at a symptom in your body that your body is giving you, your body is telling you something is wrong, and you're trying to quiet it down and ignore it. And you go, but it's just natural. Uh, You still haven't fixed the problem unless those herbs are actually addressing the problem. Now, I will say one of the herbals in this uh, liquid is peppermint. And for many people, especially in herbal, the mint's peppermint can actually um, be uh, very... um, aggressive against the tissues in the esophagus. So in other words, mints, if you're having GERD, it's not a great idea in a liquid. If it's in a capsule and it gets down to the small intestine, it can be helpful. But in a liquid, it can actually aggravate the the uh, symptoms of the, the GERD by using the mints in a liquid form and putting peppermint in your coffee from, you know, your coffee shop. So know that interesting. the against you in liquid. Yeah. Huh. I see. I'd never heard that. That's really interesting. I'm going to have her get in touch with you or, or listen to this podcast <laughs> when we post it right. because, you know, yeah. how the difference between, you know, a capsule form or liquid and how that can cause different that's effects. Right. That's really interesting. And maybe something that, that she hasn't right. taken a look at. So that's I'm right. also well, curious to... Yeah, go ahead. Uh, oh, you think you think it's a good product, or well, no, I'll say I'll say good product. Wellsons that have been developed well, they're in they're, they've been thought out. Where are they supposed to go in the body? Is it supposed to break open in the stomach? Is it supposed to supposed to get past the stomach acid and into the small intestine? So the coating on the capsules will be devised so that it really that ingredient gets to where it's supposed to be for the best effect. So you can't just throw it in in any form and think that it's going to work. We've gotten where we do have the knowledge of where most of these things work and what part of the gastrointestinal tract. So that's that mm. what I just you know was talking about, that the mints right. are not good in a liquid. Interesting. That, that's really interesting. And I wanted to ask too about, you know, people that are experiencing, you know, maybe they're having, um, you know, different symptoms that might not be directly attributed to an imbalance in the gut bacteria. Like I was reading the behavioral things like grinding your teeth. I mean, I'm guilty of that too. Sometimes I wake up with a headache because I'm like drilling down on my teeth, Um, you know, changes in your eating habits, even things like procrastination or ruminating over things in life, that even these kinds of behavioral things can be symptoms of an imbalance in your gut bacteria. And I think people would just dismiss these kinds of things and write it off to general stress. I mean, have you ever seen things like that in your practice when you're working oh, with people? Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. You know, when people come in and they'll, they, they'll, they'll, they may have cancer or they may have uh, the beginnings of Alzheimer's or they may have joint uh, 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 disease, they may have grand mal seizures. And I'm going to tell you about a case in a minute. Um, <clears throat> they come in and they say, well, what do you have? They usually think I'm going to just have some natural treatment for their, their disease or their symptom. And I say, no, 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 no. I'm going to look at you as a whole, as a person, <laughs> not as that disease. I'm looking at you, your stress levels, your emotional, spiritual, mental, all of these things, because it affects all of it. So a good case uh, that I will tell you about that kind of addresses what you're asking, I had a young woman come to me. She was 24, I believe, at the time. She had grand mal seizures every day. Now, those are the seizures that they're completely um, not conscious. They're, you know, She says, Please just make sure I don't swallow my tongue. When she went to school, when she had a job, she had to say, please don't call 911. I don't want to spend my life in the hospital. Just make sure I don't swallow my tongue. And the seizure would last five or ten minutes. She had been everywhere, all the major institutions worldwide. No one, no one could do anything to help this poor woman. She'd have one to two grand mal seizures a day. And I said, well, You've had all the great tests. I've looked through this. Yes, I agree. They've, they've looked through all the, the things that might cause this. But, okay, let's start from basics. I'm going to make your healthy. Let's make your body healthy. And I did food sensitivity testing on her, foods that would cause inflammation. As soon as we did that and she stopped eating those six foods, she never had a grand mal seizure again. And this was 10 years ago. And it was wow. foods that were affecting the gut, which affected the brain. So, yes. Uh, nervous habits, um, we know that uh, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, uh, you name a, a neurological condition that they are very much affected by the gut health. And so when you see a naturopathic medical doctor, one of the first places we start <laughs> is the gut. People come for skin health and they say, I have acne or I've got a problem with my skin. Nobody can figure it out. They're just giving me steroids. Well, the skin is a reflection of what's happening inside the gut. Embryologically, we flip wrong side out. It's kind of the same cell. So if the gut is upset, the skin will be. And if the skin is breaking out, guaranteed that gut looks just like that on the inside. So we work, spend a lot of time on gut health. Autoimmune, we've said it for many, many years. And then my favorite magazine, Scientific American, I think it's been 15 years ago, had it on the cover that said, autoimmune disease being caused by leaky gut. And those of us working with this and around this forever went, yes, but everybody else was astounded by it. So you name a disease, you name a disease, and I will tell you, you get the gut health better, that disease, your body is able to battle and combat that disease better. Wow, that is crazy that she had up to two grand mal seizures a day yeah. that would last, you know, five to 10 yeah. minutes. Yes. It was horrible. Wow. Everywhere her school had to know about all the kids. Can you imagine her life as a, as a young woman? I, I couldn't even imagine, gotten, you know. Yeah. She'd just gotten at a, a job. I won't mention it. it was a very big um, corporate um, uh, area. And they put her in an area where she just had a few people working around her. And she just said, hey, sorry, it's going to happen. But just make sure I don't swallow my tongue. Sorry. <laughs> and, and what were she, the culprits? I mean, she and her, everybody's different. And hers. Uh, when we tried to add back some of the other foods, hers ended up being wheat. And it's not gluten. It was wheat. It was the protein in the wheat itself. And just some eliminating that is, made such a difference? She's never had another grand mal seizure. And she's completely That is healthy. incredible. 
So, and that's just one case. I mean, you, like I said, no matter what anybody's coming in for, it's not, you don't have to have a gastrointestinal problem. By the way, people think they're fine. And I, I ask them when they come in, this is part of, and this is, this is a great way to end, no pun intended, but end, start, you know, winding down the show is that what does your poop look like? It should be <laughs> from your elbow to your wrist about that long. About that long. It should be what? about three, to, yeah, see, listen to you, three to four <laughs> centimeters, pretty big around, a little bit wider than a banana, that thick, and it should be easily passed, shouldn't smell bad, you should have at least one a day, and it shouldn't really smell bad unless you had asparagus or something like that. That is a normal bowel movement. So if you tell me I don't have any digestive problems, and my doctor says if I have a bowel movement every three days, I'm fine. I'm telling you, your doctor is constipated. That is not healthy. You're supposed to eliminate. It takes 10 hours for the, the digestive system to do all the things that it does for entire digestion. And at that point, that transit time should be about ready to eliminate. So if you don't have that going on, you do have a digestive issue going on. And it will affect your brain, your skin your heart, your immune system, your joints, your inflammation, I could go on and on. So the brain, that emotional eating, oh, this is an interesting one too, emotional eating and listening to the wrong symptoms. So what do people do when you hear your stomach growl? What do you think, Diane? When you hear it growling, what do you think? I, I start thinking food of some kind. Right. I'm, hung, I'm so hungry. <laughs> right, and, and you're not. So when you hear that sound, that's actually the small intestine. So whatever you last ate, when it goes through all these steps that it goes through into the stomach, and that, when it gets to the small intestine, the small intestine, one of the things it does, it's got to do all its, its, get its vitamins and minerals out of there, but it's also supposed to cleanse itself out for the next time you eat. That sound you're hearing, the growling, it's a small intestine doing its cleaning. That's not the time that you're supposed to be putting more food in and not letting it continue cleaning. So it's absolutely the wrong thing to do. We have really gotten that one wrong. <laughs> we think, oh, wow. I'm hungry. Uh, I really, didn't know that. Yeah. So learning to the emotional eating patterns, listening to the wrong signals, um, those are important for us. And, and that bacterial ecosystem that we have, being kind to it and good. And you're going to hear more and more about this because the, the, the pharmaceutical companies are all over this microbiome. They're all over it. They know if they can find certain strains and they can patent them and it works on this particular disease, they've got a winner. And so they, they are really, really studying this. In the meantime, we've got fermented food and probiotics and um, there's no reason to wait. And these ancient healing traditions have always known it, always known it. Traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic, you name it, Quadendato. They know about fermented foods, and it's always made people, all diseases, seem to get better. Now we have the science behind it. That's so amazing that we're able to look yeah. back, you know, and, and see what right. people were doing and then bring it right. to the, the future, bring it to the forefront, yeah. and then find out, you know, why these things are working. That's right. And That's right. So, what, so probably one of the first things that we should do, any listeners out there who are having, you know, digestive issues, stomach issues, just start introducing some fermented foods. I mean, of course, given, you know, if you 
if you have an immune disease or something that you had mentioned right. earlier, but just kind of maybe adding in, you know, a little yogurt and things like that. You, you can. I will say some people may experience a little bit of stomach upset when first taking fermented foods or probiotics in, in higher doses. And it's really the fight that's taking place between the good bacteria and the bad bacteria. And it will usually stop in a few days. If it doesn't, then... Um, some of the products or prebiotics may have some other um, things like inulin or artichoke that may cause some gas and bloating and all, and you may need to try a different probiotic or a different um, fermented food. But don't give up. Just keep keep trying and trying one that doesn't bother you. Uh, but it might at first because there's a little bit of a fight that may need to go on because the good guys are going to be fighting the bad guys. And that what you mentioned just a, a minute ago, that's so interesting to me about our, the stomach growling, because we're told <laughs> since we're kids, you know, oh, you know, I we're hungry, know. we have to eat. I, so should we just <laughs> wait maybe in when we're feeling sure. that maybe wait an hour or something sure. before we eat sure. at that point? Absolutely. Would that be better? Absolutely. Absolutely. Wait till it stops. You know, it doesn't keep going usually. Um, and so if it's really, really going and really loud, it's whatever you just ate was having a hard time cleansing itself afterwards. You should be thinking, what did you just eat that affected it that way instead of what do I need to eat next, right? So, And what you, do you, you think it, about, um, about intermittent fasting? You know, so say you, you hear or you feel that sound and you wait, you know? No, it is a huge, I'm a huge fan and that's, a whole other show. I work with the top researchers in the country, Dr. Thomas Seafried, Dominic D'Agostino. We have our global group um, on this. So um, very big fan of intermittent fasting and calorie restriction, longevity. I mean, there's so many exciting uh, things and research coming out about that. And that's one of the things for the brain-gut connection. I think fasting is good, even water fasting. There's different ways to do it. Um, and different right ways to do it. People with hypoglycemia, we've got to do it a little differently. That means they've got low blood sugar. But for the most part, it is the one fasting and calorie restriction are the things that we know that extend our life, that we really know extend our life and can help us have better quality of life as we age. So I'm a very big fan of it, taking care of any leaky gut problems that you have different types of um, uh, uh, exercise. I'm a big fan of the interval training. So our body was meant to eat when we're supposed to eat and not eat all the time. You know, take it back us back to cavemen. And we exercise. We ran from the bear and then we calmed down. We didn't do it all the time. And that's why we're struck in the, stuck in this stress mode and why our leaky gut is happening. One of the reasons is because nobody ever – you know, a lot of people are not quiet enough in there. They don't have enough downtime in their day. They're running from the bear all the time and even in their sleep. That affects the nervous system and affects the gut. So my favorites are intermittent fasting or some kind of calorie restriction, um, interval training for exercise, and that's not hours on a treadmill every day. That's a few times a week, push it hard, light, lighten it up, and that's a whole other show of how you do that. But it is it, they can find a lot online, and I just mentioned a few of the researchers that I think that people should look into. Um, I do think from genetics, um, a new book that's just out by um, uh, Sinclair. He's the geneticist at Harvard. Um, it's Longevity and Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To is a fascinating book. I think that everyone should read that. It gives us hope, and it also tells us that we have the ability to live a very, very long time. And it's well, that's such great that news. We're going to be doing it. Right. I so love it. Got to be healthy. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you want to have, 
you know, a, a nice, long, well, healthy life, not be stuck yeah. in a hospital. And I'm yeah, glad to right. hear that about the intermittent fasting, because I've been yeah. experimenting with that and just going from, you know, like not eating after seven and then not eating yeah. again until noon. That's good. You know, or, way to do or it. close to that yeah. and That's kind of trying that a couple of days a week. And yeah. it's not hard to do. I mean, I'm not I'm no. not starving. Uh, no, but you just hear no. so often, oh, you have to eat right first thing in the morning, and some people no. are not really breakfast people, no. so that's not yeah, really true. That's been, yeah, that's not true. It's been disproven. You can do water fast um, a few days a week where it's water only. It just depends, and I like mixing it up. The body likes you mixing it up. Um, sometimes you just do calorie restriction for women, 500, men, 600 calories a day, and you just do that a couple of days a week. So I think you go through different ways of doing it. You can go into a ketogenic diet and go high fat. The brain loves that. The gut loves that. But it's about kind of pressing and pulsing. It's about pushing the system a little bit, challenging it, and then relaxing it. Challenge, relax. That's what the science is showing is just best. Not eating all the time and not exercising all the time. Um, that's that's not the way we were designed. We were designed Having to some balance. and go. Yeah, it's been so great to have you on. You have got so much amazing information. And I want to make sure um, just while we're wrapping up to the end of the show here that I send people to your website, Dr. Warden, D-R-W-O-R-D-E-N.com. So much information on there. You have an incredible line of supplements that people can check out and ask about, and they can just reach you through the website with their questions and you're building a new site. You're working on that too. So I'll keep my eye on that. And it, it's been, it's been so great to chat with you and we have to have you come back on. And I, I so appreciate you. your time today. It was great. Thank you so much, Diane and good health to everyone. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network, and wherever you get your podcasts.